This is an advertisement for Tape Lab. Do you guys like jiu-jitsu? Do you like training in the gi? But do you not like your fingers getting mangled by the gi? You've probably been told at some point to just tape your fingers. The problem is, the most tape that people get for jiu-jitsu isn't specifically made for jiu-jitsu. Luckily guys, the Tape Lab company has some amazing tape made specifically by and for jiu-jitsu practitioners. They have white tape, black tape, beige tape, big tape, small tape, and tins to carry all around in, and for reasonable prices. But if you want to save a little, just a little bit more money and get great tape, then use code humanzy 15 for 15% off at checkout at the Tape Lab company. Link in the description. And as always, thanks for listening. episode of Humanity Jitsu Podcast with me, Andrew Humanity Quinn. Guys, we're once again joined by Tiana Taylor, and in today's episode, we discuss all of her injuries, how she rehabbed them, how she improved her performance by seeing a sports psychologist, how she made her return to competition after a long hiatus due to injury. And guys, you can also check out all the Tiana's sponsors like XS Mountguards, Enhanced CPD. And be sure to follow her at Tiana Taylor BJJ. It'll be in the description below if you want to ha- have a look at it. And guys, with that said, I'll just get into the episode. Back to the show, Tiana. How have you been up to since the last time I had you on? Uh, lots of things. Um, training a lot, resting, more surgery. Surprise, surprise. And yeah, just living life and trying to improve my jiu-jitsu mainly. Mm. Uh, so guys like it's been a while since I've done an episode it's been like four months so like uh, let's see like it's funny I just tried to do I bought a sound bo- soundboard there because you know with all the mixers and audio samples and shit I tried to do it everything literally you couldn't make this up everything was working perfectly we, we, we it took us ages to actually sort this out because like I was trying to make everything work and then the second you know I ring uh, Tiana for the fucking call everything goes to shit is <laughs> just completely ridiculous <laughs> uh you know that that's life though so like um we're mostly going to talk about injuries and rehab and injuries and stuff today because like you know it's a sport where you get injured a lot you know who would have thought a sport where you get your limbs bent the wrong way and get thrown <laughs> all around the place get thrown all around the place you know might uh you might get injured <laughs> so like uh you know tiana's just getting over an injury and uh if you don't mind how did you get injured there uh how long ago was that when you got injured at first? I remember it was the 8th of December 2019. And um, before I did jiu-jitsu, the only competitive sport I had done was track and field. I was a 100-meter sprinter, 60-meter sprinter, and a high jumper. So I was used to getting shin splints from high jump, particularly in my um, right tibia, my right shin. But other than that, I hadn't had any kind of sporting injury. So then what happened happened then it was probably one of the worst ones you could get so it did impact me quite quite significantly so yeah that was the 8th of December 2019 um it was the last roll and I had signed up to the Europeans three days before and a teammate invited me to roll and I, I was tired but I thought you know I've got to be on form and good, have good cardio for the Europeans. I've signed up. I've got to I've got to push through. And um, I went to take her down as she fell. Um, she went to catch me in closed guard, and her leg went into the side of my knee, causing it to buckle. 
and the pain was something I had never ever felt before not pain to that degree bear in mind I've had meningitis so I had two consecutive lumbar punctures where they extract fluid from the spine I've had a lot of other surgery as well um on my internal organs so this pain was something I had never felt before nothing came close to it so it turned out I had a full ACL rupture and I also ruptured my external meniscus so um I was waiting for surgery that I, I had um had a number of scans uh, etc all the usual stuff I couldn't actually be physically moved though from the mats for about 45 minutes so I knew it was I knew it was bad and I had heard of about the ACL but to be honest I didn't really know much other than that's what you absolutely don't want to injure so I got when I was finally able to get to hospital they drained a lot of blood out of my out of my knee I think it was six syringes six or more syringes of blood um, but it was very difficult to examine me because um, my knee was swollen so so heavily and I was also screaming the place down which I was not embarrassed about at all because I was in so much pain and um, they initially thought I had broken my leg so I was sent for an x-ray but they don't routinely do um, MRIs in um, A&E. So because I have private health care, I thought I can't be on a public waiting list. So I went and got that sorted and it came back as fully ruptured ACL and uh, fully ruptured external meniscus. So there was no option. I absolutely had to have surgery. I know some people sustain a similar or even, you know, maybe the same injury and then managed to rehab but they said in my case that just absolutely no way you said you need surgery and I had it in February 2020 and um, so I had to wait a little bit even though I went private but the problem was COVID hit straight after I had my operation which means I didn't get access to rehab or physiotherapy or anything so I was literally at home. In Spain, we were locked down very, very strictly. It wasn't like the UK where, you know, you could get away with certain things. They're very, very strict. You had the police in the streets. You had the army in the streets. You couldn't, you couldn't go out and unless it was for uh, medical treatment or to the supermarket or to the pharmacy. And although I needed medical treatment, even the public system was closed for physio and rehab. So I had no help whatsoever with that. And I understand now how crucial that early intervention is with the ACL in particular. So I did what I could at home. Um, my partner is a qualified personal trainer, so he was helping me, but he's not a physio. So I did what I could. I started to recover, but then um, I was still in quite a lot of pain, which is obviously normal, but the pain I later found out was the development of uh, scar tissue, fibrosis. So because I hadn't had the intervention I needed when I needed it, I had built up scar tissue. Um, I started drilling very lightly some months later, which in retrospect was probably a bit too soon. I wasn't really clued up on ACL recovery or treatment. And I didn't also, I didn't really even get the chance to because of the situation with COVID. So um, 
within I can't remember when the second the second time it happened but within 30 months of that I had another ACL rupture but this time it was partial and that was due to it was actually a hip bump sweep it was a hip bump sweep I immediately knew something was wrong but because it felt so different to the first time I didn't think it was my ACL but I immediately knew something had gone in my knee and I was absolutely devastated to find out that it was my ACL again and also my this time my internal meniscus ruptured so within two months uh, sorry 13 months I had two ACL surgeries and the second time they cleared up all the scar tissue which was good because it meant I would be able to walk without pain and because things with COVID were better I was immediately put on an elite athlete um, um, rehab program Um, just to clarify I did not describe myself to them as an elite athlete they just know (laughs) I I train a lot and I take Mm. very seriously and I compete so they said, okay, we will organize transport for you to be picked up in the morning and we will take you home. You'll be on an elite athlete program and you'll have physio and rehab uh, for two hours a day, five days a week. So that that was a huge relief after the first time because I was working with people who actually knew what they were doing rather than trying to navigate it myself at home. Mm. So, yeah, so the first time round was... Um, unfortunately a takedown gone wrong and the second was a hip bump sweep Uh, it's strange that that can cause that but a hip bump sweep can cause such a you know bad injury but I think because I hadn't had the rehab or physio the first time around it made me much more susceptible to re-injury yeah Mm. now there's a lot to unpack there but like uh, one of the things is like uh, what's it called it's sort of an uh, an upside that again okay, that you got the the surgery right before COVID because so many people were waiting for surgeries, waiting for this, waiting for that because of that. So at least the timing was good on that front. Because imagine if you didn't get it and then you know you were still stuck without the surgery for you know months and end with all all the COVID bullshit. Yeah, it, this is it's like it's like a double-edged sword really because I my ACL was so badly. Um, ruptured that even with um crutches and a full leg brace that went from my thigh to my ankle I was still falling over it was it really was that bad and when I, I'd fall over if I for example um had slipped on some water and the pain was like the first time around it was horrendous so and also I I turn a lot I move a lot when I sleep and I was sleeping in the leg brace and if I move my knee, I would scream the bedroom down because I was in so much pain. So while I am glad I did get the surgery and didn't have to wait, on the other hand, I didn't. The rehab is so important. I can't emphasize that enough. I didn't know enough about ACL um, recovery and surgery to really understand and appreciate how important the intervention and proper rehab is and um yeah I did start to get a little bit better but the fibrosis the build-up of scar tissue was making it difficult to walk even when I was starting to recover properly so the second time around everything went smoothly I was able to get uh that rehab and that physio and 
but walking didn't cause pain in my knee because that scar tissue had gone. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one because if I had to wait even longer, then I think the, the mental, the effects on mental health would have been worse. Um, but at the same time, I may not have needed that second operation had I got everything I needed the first time around. Mm. Now, when you say like uh, you ruptured it, your ACL, and I see, you know, plenty of people like, oh, I tore it, I strained it, I fucking, um, what was the other one I was thinking, or, or, or whatever. Now, when you say rupture, like what exactly does that mean? Like uh, what exactly like happened to the ACL? It literally um, was broken in every sense possible. So it, it completely detached and there was no way that, like a partial rupture is when part of it is, is broken. Um, it's obviously a strain is where it's still intact, but mine was not intact at all. It was completely, completely broken. So that's why I absolutely had to have surgery. Was, I wouldn't have been able to recover otherwise. Mm. Now, when you say you were on like an elite athlete's uh, rehab sort of program, I'm so great at words, but like, uh, well, how did that differ from like a typical rehab program? Like, was it like super intense or just really cut or like you do it something like, what was the, what was the deal with it? It was the frequency because um, the other people there were not actually athletes. They were um, just like normal people who had, some, some of them were there for ACL issues, some of them were there for other issues, um, but they would typically be there maximum three times a week, like maximum, and for less time. Whereas I was there for two hours a day, five days a week, and I had more exercises packed into that time. So that, that, that was the main difference. The frequency was higher and um, yeah, it was more intense. I was also given stuff to do outside. Now, when you s- sorry. Oh, sorry. The thing was just uh, it was just freezing up there. But like, uh, what sort of what sort of way did you rehab? Like, what was the what was the exercise? Like, if you you know, if you can, can go into detail about like what sort of exercise did they have you do to sort out your ACL there? I had a lot of um, it was a lot of pushing down against uh, pushing down against the pressure of the physios um for example their hand it was a lot of elevating of my knee also trying to get my foot to my bum that's a, that's a very common very common um exercise to help just to kind of like use as a benchmark to see how you're improving because at the beginning I couldn't really even bend my knee but the the key was to get be able to get my heel to my bum and so there was a lot of the physio pushing my knee um, towards me to see how far it could go. There was a lot of balancing involved as well on a balance board, um, a lot of stretching. I was hooked up to a TENS machine for about 20 minutes at a time. Um, so that sends like electric impulses through your, through your, your skin to your muscles because uh, particularly after the first surgery my my injured thigh was so small in comparison to my left leg due to muscle wastage so the idea is to really strengthen the structures and the muscles in your injured leg um what else do we do yeah a lot of balancing um outside of 
the sessions when I not at the beginning because it was too early but things like deadlifting and anything to strength basically strengthen your quads is really really important um your abductors were worked quite a lot that was in the gym as well I'm trying to think what else we actually did in the sessions that were supervised because they would check your check your dressings check your wounds and stuff as well um a lot of it also was lying on lying on your stomach and again the emphasis of getting your heel to your bum because that that can be quite a challenge pushing against pressure so put so the physio would try like little by little try and get my uh foot to my bum and I'd have to say stop when it was just too painful but we used that as a benchmark for my progress so it's really getting that mobility and range of uh, movement back in your knee as well as strengthening um all the structures and your quads in particular mm. now I get you so like after all that like how long did it take you to actually get back to training like uh you know from uh doing all the rehab like how long did it take you to get back to training regularly my goodness now that's quite a difficult question because I had I went back I can't remember I honestly can't remember how long it was but I first got injured as I say on the 8th of December 2019 I properly properly came back to the mats um in November 2021 because don't forget I had two surgeries which meant two sets of recovery the first time I didn't get the help I needed due to COVID which was no one's fault it was just really frustrating second time around I did get the help and I really understood at this point how much I really needed it the first time around so a mistake a lot of people make is going back to sport far too quickly and I see a lot of I'm in quite a lot of uh, grappling groups online and it almost sounds like it's a competition to see who can get back to the mats the fastest but that just means you're more likely to re-injure yourself so with bearing that in mind I was really careful I, I when I did even in November when I went back properly I only would spar with certain people there were certain techniques I wouldn't do and um, my coach wouldn't allow me to do because they were too dangerous and also I had a fear of re-injury which also held me back quite a lot as well so in total we're talking um we're talking over well over a year well it was 90 yeah in total nearly two years but again I did have two surgeries and not one mm. now see it is you do bring up an interesting point as about like um people like like they'd always be posting like oh it's uh it's like it's a competition like oh yeah I got knee surgery like seven hours ago and I'm already training again and doing heel hooks like a fucking idiot <laughs> well, like, like fair enough you want to go back training that's fine but like if you are train lightly and don't go don't go fucking don't, you know don't be stupid don't be silly but you know you know how it is yeah I, I don't think a lot of pe people who haven't injured their ACL they don't realize that like you really shouldn't be back on the mat sparring after four months even if your recovery is going really well that is that is just asking to get re-injured it, it's not a good idea and it's not I don't think it's anything to be impressed by I just think it's quite to be honest quite foolish because you are going to hurt yourself again and then you're going to be out for longer so it's not worth it it really isn't mm. 
No, but we all have, we all know that always injured guy, the guy who's always fucking sore, he's always recovering for something, he's always getting, you know, just don't, don't be always injured guy. If you know it's good for you, just don't be always injured guy. To be fair, I think I'm probably that person in my gym. <laughs> but in my defense, because I've had issues with my internal organs, um, I most recently had um, three stomach surgeries. So, but mine goes with... Um, not just injury but illness as well the medical conditions so I am that person who is always in hospital and I think you said to me uh, when I told you that I was having surgery again you said are you aiming for like the world record number of surgeries or something but only only my knee surgeries have been related to jiu-jitsu the other um had 17 now so the other 14 haven't been anything to do with jiu-jitsu Mm. Uh, well, in a few years, that might change. You might have thirty surgeries and all be jujitsu related. So you oh, know, we'll, don't uh, say we'll get that. the number. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm just joking, but like, uh, we'll get the we'll get the number of jujitsu surgeries up. You know, those those are rookie numbers. But on a, on on a serious note, though, I'm in a way, it's fortunate that the this happened at blue belt. I think if it happened at white belt, I'm not sure I would have gone back. But because of my passion for jiu-jitsu and the fact that I that heel hooks, um, in, well, in IBJJF comps, which is what I I tend to do, um, they do not allow heel hooks at this point um, at blue belt, and I think that's almost a, it was almost a blessing because if I was a brown belt or a black belt the fear of re-injury would have been even worse because those submissions are allowed. And when I think, I know with heel hooks in particular, it's, it's your ACL that can go if um, you, if a heel hook is slammed on or the person doesn't want to tap. So because those submissions are not um, allowed in the comps that I personally choose to do, um, for me, that is a good thing because if I then return to the competition scene and I had to be aware of heel hooks and you know that those kind of submissions from the off I think it would have been much harder to come back mm. well at least on the upside they're only okay they're obviously they're only in nogi they're only in brown and black belt and they only do them in the adult division so like anyone in the master's division or you know, say you, you choose to do adults or you choose to do masters. If you just don't want to deal with heel hooks, you're allowed to just, you know, do a, do master if you're in the, in the age bracket. That's that's yeah, a good the thing. Issue, so. Yeah, the issue is particularly with Spain, and this is, this is why I'm more into traveling for competitions, is that I'm often, unless I compete at adult, I won't get fights. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's an issue I've had um, previously either master's divisions just weren't a thing or um, to get a decent amount of fights, I'd have to fight it at all. Mm. But I'm not, well, I'm it's not easy a brat so that's okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's easy for me to say because, like, you know, obviously I do in, like, grappling industries, I do, like, advanced no-gi where it's brown and black belt rules. But, like, yeah. even if it was, like, IBGF, if I was brown or black belt, I, I'd have no trouble getting matches because... I fluctuate between lightweight and middleweight, which have like a whole bunch of fucking people there, even at brown and black belts. So, yeah, 
Yeah, I was talking to someone actually just the other week about the, um, the low number of entries in comps generally since COVID because, like, I know gyms have, generally speaking, in the, in the UK and Ireland and also in Spain, they had a lot more people signing up because people, like, um, I know some people maybe didn't go back to jiu-jitsu for whatever reason, um, but a lot of the the clubs had to close, but then when they did open, like the membership rates, a lot of them skyrocketed, skyrocketed, a lot more people signed up, which is really, really good, especially having, you know, lost so much um, money from being closed. But what, what I find really interesting now is how few people compete. Even like if you look at the Europeans this year, um, the numbers, even in the like adult male blue or purple brackets were so much lower than like previous years so mm. much lower so this now, year in for, particular, for, sorry go on oh, but, but like for an example okay i was gonna do the europeans but this is just a isolated incidence you know because covid is no one gives a shit about covid really anymore no it's all good like here in europe everything's grand like in ireland no one gives a shit like i'm actually gonna do nogi euros in uh, november <clears throat> Sorry, but like um, I was going to do Gi Europeans in February. Everything was grand. I paid, signed up to every chef, paid a membership. Everything was grand, paid for the comp, was going to book the flights. But then they changed all the COVID shit the last minute. Like, oh, yeah, uh, we don't care if you, you know, they, whatever. They, they changed all the stuff. So then I couldn't do it. So I say that through a few people for a loop with the Europeans there. But it's, it's funny you bring that up because fucking uh, last weekend there was a competition on. And, like, one of my friends, like, you know, me and him, we, we tried to go to every comp. But, like, I had something on last weekend and he was going to go. And he was like, man, this is ridiculous. Even if I go, even if he went, he was trying to get matches. He's like, I went to weight class above, no matches. My own weight class, no matches. I went to purple belt, my weight, no matches. And purple belt, weight class above, no matches. He's like, man, there's yeah. no one fucking doing this. Like, he's even he going, going to weight class and a belt level above just to get a fucking match. That's like, man, come on, like... It's crazy. Yeah, there definitely has been um, a huge drop in people competing. There, I mean, people obviously it's it's more much more noticeable in women because there were fewer of us anyway. Um, but it's like even if I fought an adult or a lower masters bracket, I'm still not getting fights, and it's just like what's happened. But it has been since COVID. It is interesting, but also very disappointing. Very disappointing because you could travel. Um, as you know, I was going to do the the Dublin Open, but then I had stomach surgery, and um, even then, it was just like I would have got very few fights. So mm. it's happening miss- across the board, though. It's not just with the IBJJF. It's a lot. It's a lot of other competitions as well. A lot of other federations. Mm. I don't I don't get it I don't get why people are uh, you know competing less like I don't know this year I'm trying to compete like every month at least once a month and I hear here's another thing usually when I compete it's never a two-man bracket I've never had a two-man bracket or anything like that the first time ever because I've been competing for four years I got a two-man bracket because you know it was round robin the first like it said three people in it one of the guys didn't show up, so I was just like, you know, are we doing best of three, or what's the crack? And they're like, oh, no, I'll just fight each other once. I'm like, man, 
the fuck? Yeah. But like, no, but like, you know, I was a bit disappointed because, you know, it's obviously I won and I got the, yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously I won <laughs> and I got, you know, I got the, I got the gold after one match. I'm like, okay, this is grand, but I would have liked more matches, but you know. Yeah. Now I understand the frustration of already getting the fucking, you know, two man brackets, but you know, getting that at every comp is probably fucking annoying for a lot more people. Yeah. Yeah. You can only fight who turns up on the day as well, because often, you know, people sign up and then for whatever reason don't turn up or they don't want to do the absolutes or they pull out. Or I mean, I understand that if you get injured in your fight, of course, you're not going to want to continue fighting. But yeah, it's frustrating. Mm. Or sorry to, to get back uh, to get back on point. So like once you got over all, once you were you know uh, doing the rehab for a bit, and we you know you were training for a while because you know we talked the whole time. But like uh, when did you like um, decide to compete again? Because you know you competed a few times since since that. Yeah, I decided my comeback competition was going to be Euro, the European in Italy. Uh, normally held in Lisbon, obviously, but this year it was in Italy at. Um, someone advised me, why don't you start a bit, why don't you start a bit smaller? And I was like, nah, if I'm going to do it, let, let, let's do it properly. So I did, um, I did the Europeans in, um, in February. I, I won bronze, which I was really happy with. My first fight was textbook, how I planned it. Unfortunately, um, came short on points in the second fight. Um, but that was, it felt so good to be back. Felt so good to be back in competition, but I was obviously very nervous because I had—I know COVID meant people weren't competing anyway. But I had not just the issue of time off; it was fear of re-injury and being off the mats in general. Because, like I said, I only came back to jiu-jitsu in November, so to be so out of shape and you know having forgotten so many details of techniques and things. Um, yeah, it, it was a challenge, but I thought, let's just go for it. Let's just go for it. And it was, it, I, I, I always wear knee pads, but obviously in IBJJF comps, you have a gi inspection, they pat you down and everything. You're not allowed to wear knee pads. So that was also a, a big concern for me because of my knee, because it felt like naked under my gi. And it's like maybe a psychological thing, but aside from having the physio tape on my knee, I didn't have anything else on it. So that that was more of, of a psychological thing because I'm used to training in knee pads and I always do so to before I got injured I that was something I'd never even given a second thought about but obviously because both surgeries were on the same knee as well I was concerned but yeah I decided I'm going to do the Europeans um if I can cope at that level then I'll be okay and yeah, mm. I did. I won my first fight, my submission, and then, uh, as I said, lost on points for the second fight. So I placed third. Mm. No, that that's that's great. But like, um, what's it called? Uh, sorry, I phrased that very bad. That sounded a bit condescending. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <enough>. <laughs> sorry, I did, did not. I mean, that was. But like, it how felt, how long honestly, was? It uh, felt great. It felt great. <laughs> <laughs> but how long was uh, your break from competition like obviously how long did you like uh take off of competing because of the thing because of it the injury was, because of the thing yeah it was i had last competed in november 2019 and 
yeah, my comeback comp was February 2022. So a long time, a really long time. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a long fucking time. <laughs> but to be honest, if I'm honest, I never lost my fire for competing. It's something I was constantly thinking about when I was recovering. Um, despite the fear of re-injury, I was, I was determined to compete again, definitely. So I did have a long time off and I know, I know that the longer you have off from competing, the harder it is to come back, both in terms of like nerves, handling, um, just handling everything that comes with the competition. Because before, just before I got injured, I was competing, you know, every, every other weekend I was competing a hell of a lot. So to go from that to literally nothing was, was very difficult psychologically, very difficult. Uh, we've all seen your medal collection we know you you competed a lot <laughs> that's only some of it <laughs> <laughs> for fuck's sake <laughs> do you have a few naga belts that we don't know about <laughs> oh no no definitely not <laughs> or have, do you have any fucking warhammers or axes that they give you for winning at these some events yeah definitely i just keep those in the spare room <laughs> no you just you just chop up the wood that you sort of fire there in the winter <laughs> Now imagine someone burning a fire in, in in Spain. Like even in the winter there, it's fucking hot. Like go ahead of that. It gets it gets um pretty cold around January because Spanish um houses are designed to keep heat out. So we don't have they typically don't have curtains, don't have um carpets, it's all like laminated floors and blackout blinds. So in the summer it gets very hot, in the winter it can get very cold. Hmm. I never to be fair I've never been to Spain in the winter because who who goes who goes off on a holiday to Spain in the winter like you know it's me a... I did the a I do the AJP competition in Malaga in December and it will be yeah. about 22 degrees 23 degrees and because it's by the beach I'll be like in a t-shirt and all the Spanish people be like wrapped up in coats and it's you can tell who's foreign by who's on the beach it's usually the British and the Germans who are on the beach but it's still very pleasant weather in December. So, and that, that comps on every year. So yeah, so, to answer your question, there are some people who come on holiday to Spain in December because their parts are still very warm, even with the sea breeze. Plus I imagine flights are cheap there in December. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're not bad. I, I can't remember if I flew, or, no, I think we, we drove, we drove actually. So I've seen on Instagram that you've tagged the sports psychologist you're always working with. It's uh, the Evolve Your Injury, if I uh, got that right. So do you want to just tell us about him or what's how he helps you out or anything like that? Yeah, so I was, I've always been um, interested in sports psychology anyway. And I was thinking of working with one before I actually got injured. So I work with the inj- his... Um, his handle is the injury psychologist. It's Dr. Carl Biscobi. And I came across him really randomly on Instagram. I, I can't remember how I found his profile, um, but I saw that he specialized in helping athletes return to sport following injury. And there were a couple of other sports psychologists I had reached out to and were considering. But what drew me to Dr. Carl was... Um, not only did he ha- actually have a PhD, 
which told me he actually knew his stuff. And I don't want to sound disrespectful to other people, to other um, people in the field, but for me personally, if you've done, I don't know, a two month course or an eight hour course on sports psychology, that does not make you a sports psychologist in my book. He has um, studied ex uh, um, psychology extensively. And it was really important for me that I worked with someone who was knowledgeable in the field. And um, I noticed on he was posting a lot about the effects of injury on mental health. And because I was quite affected quite badly with depression, because as I said, I was competing nearly every other week. And to go from that to just not being able to walk massively affected me. So I reached out to him and um decided yep yeah, this is the person I I need to be working with so we've been working together ever since and if I'm not mistaken that was about April 2020 so we've been working together for quite a long time and the fact that I'm still working with him is not because it the stuff we do is in, ineffective and I need constant support it's because he is so good at what he does I don't want to stop our sessions so he is very, very knowledgeable. And um, as you know, I recently competed in the IBJJF International Madrid Open. I had to face the same opponent four times. And to be to be frank, kudos to her. She was a better fighter than me. But having done so much work like with mindset on sports psychology, the stuff I've done with Carl enabled me to, you know, pick myself up in between fights and step up to fight her again without feeling defeated. So there's a lot of the, he we in, the the programming that we do encompasses a lot of different things. But it was initially um, fear of re-injury, which is what he um, specialises in, that made me that drew me to him because getting your mindset back to a place where you feel safe and secure stepping on the mat is all in the mind no matter how much you've recovered physically if you've still got a mental block psychologically that's really going to affect your jiu-jitsu your muay thai whatever your dance even whatever um sport you're in so that's really what made me choose him over the others i was considering no, that sounds great. And just for anyone who's on the, let's say they're on the on the fence about actually, you know, seeking help from a sports psychologist, like what would you say? Just like a just like a quick little um, bullet points or style thing is like, what would you say is just like the immediate sort of perks of getting a sports psychologist to help you out with stuff like that? I would say you realise that what you're feeling is completely normal, and it's actually more likely that you will continue with your sport rather than quit because you realize that you are not alone with what you're feeling and there are ways and methods and techniques and strategies to manage everything you're going through no matter what sport you're in i mm. definitely definitely recommend um Carl, dr carl biscobi because he's worked with so many different types <clears throat> of athletes and yeah i would highly recommend reaching out to, to him for a consultation and seeing if you're compatible. Mm. No, that's great. And guys, I'll have him linked in the description, so uh, his Instagram in the description in case anyone wants to hit him up. 
Uh, so we're just going to knock it on the head there. I'm going to, you know, get the episode out soon. So uh, thanks for coming on, Tiana. Is there anything you want to, any, any, any uh, accounts you want to plug or anyone you want to shout out before we head off? Yeah, I have to give a shout out to my sponsors. A big shout out to Chris at Excess Guard Mouth Guards. Always make sure my teeth are protected in competition. I'm quite, I'm quite precious about my teeth. I've got, I've got pretty good teeth, so the idea of getting them knocked out is awful. So uh, they're, 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 they're okay. They're okay. <laughs> so um, even when I'm drilling, just having a custom-made mouth guard, which is what Excess Guard provide, means that I can actually talk, I can breathe, and I, yeah, I even wear it for drilling. Also, shout out to Hyperfly Europe, who have been great. Also, shout out to Chris at Enhanced CBD. Um, I will give you my discount code, which is BJJ10 for 10% off everything on their website. And last, but by no means least, a massive shout out to Dr. Carl Biscobi, who's on Instagram at The Injury Psychologist. He has been phenomenal in helping me recover both um, mentally psychologically emotionally and getting me back into competition and i can't thank him enough i'll say okay so guys thanks for listening hope you enjoyed and i'll see you in the next guys i hope you hope you enjoyed the conversation we had with tiana there as always if you want to follow us on instagram it's at humansujitsu at humansujitsu podcast and once again if you want to get 15 percent off a tape lab use code humansy15 for 50 percent off at checkout adios